Ryan is not here with us this morning, obviously, because I'm not Ryan, but uh, I want you to be in prayer for him. He's filling in the pulpit at Mission View Church this morning, which is right down the road. In the, the death of Pastor Steve Marshall here just recently, they've been asking people to fill the pulpit, and I'm thankful for a lead pastor that not only models unity within, within other Bible-believing and gospel-believing churches, but then steps into those spaces and, and takes and fills the pulpit for those. So continue to pray for the Marshall family, continue to pray for Mission View Church, and know that Ryan uh, would also covet your prayers this morning as he's preaching this morning at Mission View. One of life's greatest challenges as a parent is to help your kids to learn how to understand, how to obey. You see, I'm the dad of four daughters, a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old. And I feel like all the time I'm saying, girls, clean up the basement. Can you pick up your toys? Girls, put your shoes away, take your book bags, go put them away. Stop kicking your sister. Like, it's not that hard. But life is all about trying to help them to learn how to obey. And sometimes with little or no steps of growth, it seems like on their end. But I know this, as a parent, it hurts me when my children don't obey the things that I tell them. And I I find myself saying things like this. You know, if you don't do this, there are going to be consequences. And then as a father, as a loving father, having to step into those places to follow through with the consequences that they, that they need. All of this is teaching them to listen and obey, and hopefully to do that the first time, because it pleases my heart and makes me happy. And we say this in our house, like, that makes daddy's heart happy when he sees you guys obeying. So they've heard that before from me. Uh, the, the goal is that they would listen and follow through and do the things that they are told, but also with the right heart and with the right attitude. I think that's key in, in all of our obediences. You see, these small obediences are teaching them how to be responsible, but better yet, how to have a proper view of God. Because it's God who instructs us how to live, how to walk in faith and obedience. And we too, as adults, are just like children sometimes, left with choices every day. We're left with choices to follow our own way, to do our own thing, to believe in the moment that the circumstance is bigger than the God that we know of. And there's a lot of times we believe in that reality. But God tells us to simply simply slow down, to listen, and to obey his voice. You know, as I grow older, I'm halfway to 70, and I'm getting pretty old. I've got a lot of white hair that are starting to come in, and I'm feeling it. I really am. Some of you guys don't sympathize with me at all, which is okay. But as I grow older, I, I, I'm, I'm learning this more and more. The more that I understand God's word and what he has done throughout history, the better I can understand my own life. You see, the better I understand his word, the better I understand his plan for me and what he calls me to do. You see, that's the heartbeat for this whole series, the whole story. Even in today's message, As we walk through the narrative of scripture, we look at who God is, what he has done, who are we, what what have we done, what is sin, and how do we live in obedience to God in the day-to-day because of that. And if you've missed one or many of these sermons, let me encourage you, go online, nchapel.com slash sermons, and, and catch up, because what it does is it helps you put together the pieces of this narrative of redemption that Jesus has unfolded 
uh, that God has unfolded through, through his scriptures to us. The challenges that grow us most in our lives are those where we blindly step into things by faith, believing in that which we cannot see. You see, sometimes life, God asks us these questions and he says, do you trust me? And if you trust me, then step out. So today we're going to look at the book of Joshua. You know, Joshua is all about the conquest of the land of Canaan. And God asks his people to do some pretty crazy things throughout the book of Joshua, like, like walk around walls and blow trumpets and destroy cities and people and burn cities and people and throw rocks at people. But all of this is to, so that they would trust that it is all for his glory and for their blessing. You see, the order of this book is pretty straightforward. There's 24 chapters. Thankfully, I'm not going to go preach through all 24 chapters this morning. I did think about it this week, though, and stressed about it, like, how do I do this? But the 24 chapters are divided into two main parts. The first part is the entry of the land and possessing the land of Canaan and taking over the land. And then the second half, chapters 12 through 24, is all about dividing up the land among the 12 tribes of Israel. You see, what happens in this book is God speaks to Joshua, and then Joshua then conveys the message to the people of Israel. And then the people of Israel then are left with the choice. Do I believe by faith and trust, or do I do my own thing? By the very fact that they're entering and possessing and conquering this land, that's actually the second part of the fulfillment that we see in Scripture that God made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15. We heard this message from, from Pastor Micah about a month ago as he went through the patriarchs that God made a promise with Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham. So this conquest is really a statement of their obedience. They're no longer wandering in the wilderness, but they get to inherit and possess the land. And this Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham, what it really said was that I would, I would make you a great nation and I'm going to give you many descendants and I'm going to give you a land. And this land is Canaan. And, and a lot of times in the church world, we call it the promised land. And I actually had a chance to go to the promised land or Israel back in 2010. And I'll tell you what, it really helps put everything, the narrative of scripture together and help you see God for who he is because you're, you're standing there in the places where Jesus walked. It really is pretty incredible. So this Canaan land, this promised land is a land flowing with milk and honey. We even sing songs about it in church. You know, when we cross over the Jordan into the other side and reach that Canaan land, what it does is it gives us this, sometimes in, in, in this church world, that we, we've got this false picture of what the promised land is. Sometimes it points to, like, the promised land being heaven. But as we see throughout the book of Joshua this morning, it is not nearly a, a book pointing to heaven. It is, it is a book full of conquest and death and destruction and there are many challenges along the way you see the challenges in our life are the very thing that shape and build character within us and I had the privilege of, of speaking to somebody this week who had gone through a ton of life's challenges and we can either let those challenges defeat us or we can let them build and shape us it's in those challenges that the posture of our hearts turn to belief in who our God is. And it's during those challenges that really define and really grow us. 
Well, if you like action movies, then you'll probably like the book of Joshua because in, in chapters 6 through 12, it's all about battles and fighting and killings and death and destruction. And we see that as a constant theme throughout these chapters. Death and destruction are a result of sin, and they are echoes of the fall of man since the beginning of time in Genesis chapter 3. The Canaanites were a morally corrupt people, and God would choose the destruction of their cities and them as people for his glory and to fulfill his promise so that all people would know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. And let me just say this. As you read throughout the Old Testament and you see images where, where death and destruction of nations and people are evident, it is one of the hardest subjects in Scripture to try to wrap your mind around. But let me just say that there's no way to walk throughout, throughout the Old Testament and w- without integrity and sidestep these issues without giving clarity to what they are. And um, our, our goal as followers of Jesus is to read these to, to grapple with the truths of what it says and to trust that the Holy Spirit would illuminate within us a proper view of sin and a proper view of God. Let me be clear with us this morning that although God's judgment is pretty harsh against nations and people in Israel, the Bible is clear that he does not take pleasure in the death of sinful people. We see that in Ezekiel thirty-three eleven, but that he desires for them to come to repentance and to come to him. Later, we see in chapters 13 through 22, the second half where they're dividing up the land among the 12 tribes of Israel. It is, it's even just further confirmation that God is a God who keeps his promise. And I'm not going to lie, it's probably a little bit more uh, a boring part of the book of Joshua than the, than the, previous, uh, the previous chapters, because it's really like reading a, a map without having any pictures. And so if, if you enjoy reading maps or trying to understand like places and names and distances and all that kind of stuff, uh, then have at it. But I'm going to tell you from this week, it was, it was pretty challenging. Not, not my favorite part of, of, of the scriptures for sure. But the book of Joshua is bookended, and I want us to see this this morning. It's bookended with kind of this theme or this idea of renewal to the covenant of God. That the law of God and the commitment to choose to fear and obey him would be the posture of what they started with and finished with in Joshua. And today we're going to look at a text that is at the end of the book of Joshua that I believe helps us point us to this greater narrative of what God is calling people to do, what he's calling us to do, to know him, to fear him, to obey him. And in this chapter, in in chapter 24, it it is years after they have already conquered and possessed the land. And Joshua calls all the people together. And in the first 13 verses, we're not going to read that section. You can read it when you get home or some other time or right now while I'm talking. Um, It is a reminder that Joshua says to the people, like, remember the covenant. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a text in Joshua 24. So if you would, if you have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, you can look on the screens behind us. It'll be up there. But if you would at this time, we're going to stand and read Joshua 24, 14 through 24. I'll read it. And follow along in your Bibles or on the screens. It says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers that they serve beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve, 
whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the ways that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples that the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people will say to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord, to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice will we obey. You can be seated. Father, I thank you so much for this text. I thank you that we have the privilege to look into your word and to see who you are and what you've done throughout time and history that in which gives us a better glimpse of how we respond by faith to the things that you've called us to do. Father, I pray this morning that you'll just speak to us through your word, continue to use this text as a reminder of who you are. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, if you're following along on the back of your worship guide or taking notes, the first thing I want us to see is this thought to remember the covenant. Remember the covenant. So God establishes his covenant, like I said, with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, with the promise of people and place. And we continue to see throughout Joshua, him constantly reminding them of that covenant throughout the book. We see it in chapters 3, we see it in chapters 5, at the end of chapter 8, we see it in chapter 10, and what we just read in chapter 24. At the beginning of the book, God commissions Joshua as the successor of Moses, and uh, we, we see that Moses has died and now Joshua has taken his place. Joshua had some pretty big shoes to fill. But God tells Joshua, he says, I will exalt you in the eyes of the people as I did with Moses so that they know that I am with you. You see, what we know about the conquest was this was not Joshua's battle, but it was God's battle. And Joshua turned to God to get his instruction for every step along the way. One of my favorite verses or chunks of verses in the beginning of, of Joshua, like I said, is, is those bookends of the covenant to remember the covenant is found in Joshua 1 verses 8 and 9. It says this, it says, the, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then I will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. I have commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Many of, many of us have probably heard that passage before, maybe have it in places to, to remind you of, 
of who God is and to remind you to have strength and courage. But that is the theme of this book, God calling his people to obey the law and to not fear. We see those words, to be strong and courageous, four other times throughout the book of Joshua. And this promise alongside of it that says, I will be with you. You see, being strong and courageous is not kind of mustering up or bolstering within yourself this this ability to be strong or courageous on your own. You see, it's only through the power of God that we can possess strength and move ahead in faith to trust him in our lives. You see, this book in Joshua is a picture of a God who goes before us and of a God who is with us. We see this all throughout various stories, but we see it also in chapter 3 where the Israelites are crossing into Canaan, crossing the Jordan River. You know, we see people, we see the Israelites taking steps of obedience and with the presence of God with them. And throughout Joshua, we see the Ark of the Covenant is kind of this picture of the presence of God. So Joshua commands the people to come together with the Ark of the Covenant to cross and step into the waters. Similar to what we see God do on behalf of of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea so that they could cross on dry ground. After God did this and dried up the ground and allowed them to cross, we see that the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes are called together to, to lay stones and pile them up in their midst as a reminder of what God has done. And we see that all throughout the book of Joshua, to remember the covenant. So in chapter 5, we also see as a a reminder that this is not their battle, but it was God's battle. Because God went before them into this battle. You see, God calls them to consecrate their hearts. And he also tells them to circumcise a new generation of Israelites. You know, because this generation before them had been wandering through the desert, they had forgot and failed to obey the Abrahamic covenant and circumcise the men. And I want you to get this picture a weird mental picture just for a minute. Don't dwell on it long. But God asks Joshua and all the men, or he asks the men to be circumcised before they go into battle. I think it's a picture of uh, just physically being weakened so that they would remember that it was God who fought for them. That, it was the, that, that they can trust that God goes before them and fights this battle. You see, it was in that circumcision that God reestablishes his covenant with his people. Next, we also see they, they have the first Passover in Canaan. And, and for them, it was a sign of remembering what God has done. For us, we take the Lord's Supper as a remembrance of what Jesus has done. And it was also a sign of their faith. You know, that very day after they took Passover, the manna had stopped and they were eating produce from the land in Canaan. It was in that that they had to trust God daily for their provision. Because daily, as they were wandering, God was providing the provision. So they had to know that God was with them and before them and was going to provide. You see, what God was saying is, do you really trust me? Do you believe that I will be with you? So we see God's people look back to remember this covenant. And they're reminded of all that God has done in their midst. Because of their faith, we read in Joshua 5, 9, God says, I, today that I have rolled a, the stone of reproach of Egypt away from you. And there's some significance in that. Because you see, this was a sign of, of fulfillment of the promise that he made to Abraham. Today, 
He had rolled the stone away of bondage that today they were free and they were getting ready to conquer this land. And God shows up in a big way. We see that at the end of chapter five, that God shows up in an amazing story where Joshua has this encounter with the commander of the Lord's army. And he's face to face with this guy who has got a sword drawn. And Joshua confronts the commander of the Lord's army, didn't know who he was. And he says, are you on our side? Are you, are you for our enemies? And the response that he got from the commander of the Lord's army was no. That, to Joshua, it didn't seem like the right kind of response. He's like, it wasn't a yes or no question. It was kind of an either or question. Are you on our side or are you on our enemy's side? And you see, many of us do that same thing. We ask that question to God. God, are you, are you, are you gonna help me? God, can you show me what to do? Uh, we make God's plans for our life about what we want. You know, all, we have a God who fights for us and goes ahead of us, but we're asking the wrong question a lot of times. You know, in, in faith and obedience, in reverence to God, we fall on our face and we choose to be on his side. We don't, we don't ask God to be on our side. We don't, we don't fit God into our plans. We surrender to his plan. In this, in this story, we see what theology would call a theophany, which is a, the appearance of God in human form, similar to that which we saw in Moses and his encounter with God in the burning bush. And what also we saw there is in that encounter, God tells him to, to take off his sandals because the place that you are standing is holy ground. We see Joshua's response to this. Joshua's response is he falls on his face and in reverence and fear, he worships God. You know, it's no accident that right before they go into battle to conquer Jericho, that God shows up, has an encounter with Joshua, and then leads the charge. You see, in, in chapter 6, we, we hear the story about Jericho. And if you've grown up in church or been to church at all, you, you've maybe sang songs about Jericho and Joshua fighting this battle in Jericho. And I thought I would sing some of them for you this morning, but I'll spare you guys of, of that pain. Um, it is not necessarily Joshua who's fighting these battles, but like I said, it is God who goes before them. It's interesting that in Joshua 6, 2, before they ever go and conquer Jericho, that God says, I have given Jericho into your hands. The warriors were instructed to, to destroy everyone and everything in Jericho. They were warned not to take of anything from the city, except for the gold, the silver, the bronze, and some iron that they were to, to set aside for that which was holy unto the temple for God. Then God gives them some commands to walk around the city, to bring the Ark of the Covenant in front of you, to blow horns and shout. You know, it sounds pretty crazy, but after seven days of doing this, God destroys the city of Jericho because of their obedience. What we read in, in scripture is that it was destroyed by fire and everything in it except for one family. See, the story of Jericho was about God's faithfulness and Israel's obedience. You know, we see many other battles that God fights for his people in the upcoming chapters in 6, 7, and 8. And at the end of battles of 6, 7, and 8, God's victory, what happens is, is Joshua renews the covenant he builds an altar unto the Lord to remind themselves of the promises that God made long before and in the promises and the covenant that he made with them. 
You know, we also see various symbols throughout Joshua and the rest of Scripture that remind us of, of different things. We see piles of rocks. We see, we see altars made unto the Lord. You know, these are so that the people of Israel could pass down to their descendants and share the story of who God is and what he had did in their midst to fulfill all that he had said that he would do. Of allowing them to be conquerors in this land, he gives them signs so that they will remember the covenant. You see, we have some things in our own lives that are symbols to help us remember. Um, I carry this around like a bad habit a lot of times, and I start plugging things into my calendar, and then it dings, and it tells me I have appointments, or I have to call somebody, or it's somebody's birthday, uh, or, or different things like that. That is a symbol, a tangible way of helping me remind myself of the things that are going on in life. I wear this every day. And uh, a lot of times I can't get it off because my fingers are ever growing. My brother Dan says I've got sausage fingers, but we'll leave that at that. So this is a wedding ring. And those of us in this room that are married, um, you wear this as a symbol. It's a reminder of the covenant that you made with your husband or with your wife. And for me, I look down and I see this. And it reminds me of the covenant and the vow that I made to God on August 6, 2005 to my wife, Kara, that she alone is, is the, the one that I'm going to love. And, and on days when she's hard to love, I look down at this ring, okay? And I'm sure there's many days where I'm hard to love. And she looks down at her ring and she's like, I just love to put this upside of his head. Um, interestingly enough, when, when I was looking for rings, um, again, it's just a piece of metal. It's a symbol. It's a reminder of the covenant that I've made. Um, I first, like, it was not all about getting anything flashy. My wife was trying to talk me into whatever. You know, it's a piece of metal. It, it, I was bummed when it got scratched the first time, but it was super important for me to find something that would fit comfortably um, as, as I gripped a golf club. Uh, many of you guys can relate to that. Like, okay, I can keep this on. It doesn't feel like I'm wearing anything. But again, it's a reminder of the commitment and the covenant I've made to my wife that she alone is my bride I think what's interesting too, this ring also creates some stories within my family. Like I, I like to sit at the dinner table and spin it around and my girls, you know, try to capture it and stuff. But it also creates opportunities for me to, to share the stories with my daughters of, of how I propose to their mommy and, and that how she alone is the one that I've made this commitment and covenant of marriage to. You see, Joshua, the book of Joshua is filled with obediences of God's people doing that which Joshua commanded and conveyed them to do on behalf of what God instructed them to do. So they may have conquered the land, but they sinned tremendously in the process. And next week, we're going to see that as, as Ryan will be in the book of Judges and talking through the sin cycles of the Israelites. So the second thing I want us to see from this narrative today is the thought of removing sin. From this text in Joshua 24, we see that it says to turn away from the Canaanite gods and to be faithful to the covenant that he had made. You know, Joshua knew because of his time with them that they were prone to wander. And it's when we fail to remember God's promise and we start looking to lesser things for satisfaction in life, those are the times in life that we fall into sin. So if Jericho was about God's faithfulness and Israel's faith and obedience, then the battle of Ai was all about Israel's disobedience. 
You see, Ai was a small town. It should have been a pretty easy battle for them to take. And Joshua kind of knew this, so he only sent 3,000 men to Ai. But because of the sin of one man, Achan, judgment was cast upon a whole nation. And it says in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, it says that God's anger burned against the people of Israel. At Ai, 36 men lost their lives in retreating from the people in the battle of Ai. You see, Achan decided when he was in Jericho that he was going to take for himself some of the things that God instructed him not to take. So he took for himself some silver, he took some gold, and he took some clothing. And he said, you know what? I'm going to take this and hide it in my tent, and no one's ever going to know. Let me just remind us this morning, we serve a God who sees all and knows all. But I think a lot of times in the day-to-day, we function as if God doesn't know or God doesn't care about my sin. But the reality is God sees all and God knows all. After this happened, God said to the people of Israel, consecrate yourselves. You cannot stand in the face of the enemies until you remove the devoted things from among you. See, God knew what happened in their midst. Achan not only stole some stuff for himself, but he took that which was God's. They were to remove the gold, the silver, and the bronze and keep it, like I said, set aside for the temple. And if you read this story of Achan and other stories throughout the narrative of Scripture, sometimes it's hard to grasp in this narrative how and why God deals with sin with some people some way and deals with sin of some other people another way. That's one of the hardest things to try to wrestle with. In Acts chapter 5, you see a story of Ananias and Sapphira, who essentially, because of their disobedience, were killed. You see, in the Old Testament, the story of David, and we know that his sin was great, but yet God extends grace and favor upon him because he was a man after God's own heart. And again, this is hard sometimes to wrap our mind around, but what we do know is that God takes sin very seriously. Achan and his family paid the price for their sin, for their disobedience. They were stoned and they were burned in the valley of Achor. But it wasn't until that happened that the people of Israel were able to follow through with what God told them to do, that God removed his burning anger from them and against them, that they could be victorious against the battle of the people of Ai. I think the reason we see Jericho and Ai back to back in chapter 6 and 7 because there, there's a little bit of a contrast there. If Israel is going to inherit the land, they must fear and obey God first. See, the Bible says that we, by our very nature, are, are children of wrath. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians chapter 2. We are called to remove sin from our own life. And Hebrews chapter 12 says to lay aside every sin and the weight that entangles us and clings to us so closely. In Joshua, we see the contrast between the sin of an Israelite, Achan, and we also see that contrast between the faith of a Gentile and the person of Rahab. You see, it's a clear story of faith and and obedience. I think in in Rahab, it's a a pretty well-known story in in Joshua chapter 2. But I think a lot of times in the church, we look at Rahab as the sinner of sinners. You know, in the eyes of many of us here today, we would characterize her, she's not a pretty good person. 
She was a prostitute. She lived in the wall of Jericho. She wasn't an Israelite. She wasn't one of the chosen people. But by faith, she made this profession of faith of who God was, and she pledged her allegiance to God alone. By her actions, she hid some of the spies that Joshua sent into Canaan, and she makes this profession of faith in Joshua 2, verse 11. She says, For the Lord your God, he is the God of heavens above and the earth beneath. The reality of sin and a sinful Jericho is that she was not defined by all that. She wasn't defined by her past heritage, but by faith, God extended grace and favor, and she believed. Here we see a picture of God's grace and forgiveness. I think more interestingly from this story, that God would use such a sinner to be a part of his messianic line. If you're here today and you're a non-Christian or you're, you're just checking out this whole church thing or you're an unbeliever or you're just trying to figure out life, you need to understand sin in order to understand the book of Joshua. And better yet, to under, in order to understand even your own life, you must understand that first we are created in God's image, that we as humanity have rebelled against a holy and righteous God and his intended ways. And we've essentially said, God, no thanks for telling me how to live. Sin is, is what explains a lot of the problems that we have in our own lives and in our culture and in our country. See, sin is the dramatic backdrop of judgment throughout the book of Joshua. And it's this same sin that Jesus came to earth to defeat. He, Jesus, who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, Jesus, he who knew no sin, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that when God looks down on us, instead of seeing our sin, he sees the righteousness of God. It's called imputed righteousness, that we can stand before God just and clean because of what Jesus has done. It's this sin that we need forgiven from and delivered from. And friend, let me encourage you this morning to examine your heart. Examine your life. Where are the things in your life that don't measure up with God's law? And my prayer is that he would, he would grant us repentance that leads to life. You see, God's word says that he is a God who forgives and restores, and he is. We read in 1 John 1, 9 that, that God says if, if you are faithful and just, uh, he is faithful and just to forgive us if we confess our sins. So this morning we remember the covenant. We are called to remove sin. And lastly, we see in Joshua 24, this idea to renew our heart. Renew your heart. Joshua 24 says to incline your heart. And at the end of this book, Joshua gives two speeches as a reminder of all that God has done in their midst. It's a call to commit. Like we read in that passage, choose this day who you will serve. That challenge reigns true for even us this morning. Choose who you will serve. You see, we can choose to, to, to nurture our sin nature or we can choose to, to, to nurture uh, the things of God or the things of the Spirit. It also says to consecrate our spirit or our heart. You see, we see this many times throughout the narrative of Joshua. What consecrate means is to purify or come clean. You know, it's a call to surrender our will to God's will, to give up, to take our hands off of it and say, God, it's yours, I surrender. 
And it's not until we get to that point of surrender in our own life that we can obey the commands of the Father. You see, God asks us to do some hard things throughout Scripture, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, follow him. Even in your own life, he's asked you to step out in faith and do some hard things. Renewing your heart is all about choosing to think differently. Choosing to think rightly about who God is. You see, God brought the army of Israel through the wilderness and provided manna for them. God made the Jordan River stop and the walls of Jericho fall. He even caused the sun to stand still in Joshua chapter 10 so they could defeat and win their battle. And as a great leader as Joshua may have been, this book is not about Joshua. He couldn't have done this on his own. This is about the power of God. See, God continues to present himself through Joshua as central in Joshua. And yes, even though it's about the Israelites possessing and taking over and conquering this promised land, it's so much more than that. You see, this story is a story about God. It's about a God who liberates and frees his people from bondage. You know, I believe the Exodus, what we read in the Exodus, is more than a story about God freeing his people from the reign and rule of of Pharaoh. It's a picture of our redemption, that our freedom and our bondage of slavery, that we've been freed because of what Jesus has done. And that very fulfillment of the promise of, of them entering into the Canaan land, I believe it points us to a better rest that God offers us, a hope that we have that's been paid for by the blood of Jesus. You see, everything in this narrative points to Jesus. Don't miss it, church. You see, what's interesting about this story is when we first meet Joshua in Scripture, in in Numbers chapter 13, his name is Hosea, son of Nun. And I can thank Pastor Mike for helping me a little bit with the Hebrew because I'm not a Hebrew scholar, for those of you who didn't know. And many of you do know that I am not, so. But we see Moses calling him Yehoshua, or a shorter version, version of that that Hebrew word Yeshua, which means Joshua, which means the Lord God Jehovah is salvation. You see, the name of Joshua in Hebrew is the same exact name for Jesus. The message of Joshua points to the gospel. And even in leading this conquest, Joshua is a type of Christ. But Jesus is our great captain, and he's conquered merely all earthly kingdoms and sin and death and hell once and for all. And he calls us to follow him, to enter into this victory with him. And he has already won because church, we are conquerors because what Jesus has done. We get to be proclaimers of this good news and this good news of the forgiveness and the restoration and healing that only Jesus brings. I think if we can wrap our minds around the why of the whole book of Joshua, it would be this statement. We're going to put it up on the screens too. We found, find this in Joshua 4.24. God says this, So that all peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Church, let us remember this morning the covenant that God has made. Let us step ahead to to strive to remove sin in our own life, to renew our hearts, to consecrate our hearts and, and surrender our lives to God. 
Because we have a God who goes before us, who fights for us, who keeps his promise, and who desires our obedience. And this morning, I'm going to end with just a few questions. What is your greatest challenge in life? And how does your view of God and his word shape how you live out that challenge? Today, just like we read in Joshua 24, choose to serve God and God alone. We remember the covenant, we remove sin, and we renew our hearts. This morning, I'm going to pray, and, and we're going to go to a time of responding. And after, after I pray, we're going to stand and sing a song together as a church. But I want you to kind of think through what it is God's saying to you, and how is he calling you to step out in obedience to know that he is the God who fights for us and is with us. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We praise you for who you are, and we thank you for being the God who loves us, who sent Jesus down to this earth to live a perfect, sinless life, to die the death that we deserve so that we could have hope, so that we could have life. And God, so that we could read the narrative of Scripture and see this bigger picture of who you are and understand that because of our sin, we don't measure up to you. But God, in that, you offer grace and desire us to step out and surrender our hearts and to step out in faith and obey the things that you have commanded us to do in Scripture. So God, this morning, I pray if there's, there's one or few or many here today that have, have never trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, God, that they would, they would respond, that there's many here in this room that they could talk to that would help point them to the God of salvation who fights for us. And God, this morning, for those who are in this room and just need to be reminded of the commitment they made to you, to be reminded of the covenant that, that you have made with us, God, I pray that sparks within us just a joy and a fervor and, and an energy to do the things that you've called us to do this week. So Father, we love you. As we go into this time uh, of responding and, and as we sing together, God, just, just allow us to worship you and step out in obedience to what you're calling us to do. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.